Good morning and welcome to Chanel. We are glad that you're with us, regardless of how you're joining us, whether it be here with us together or online. We are thankful that you are a part of Chanel. This morning we are wrapping up our Everyday Disciples series with what I think could be the most difficult. I know that I've expressed challenges with every one of these phases. With sharing, it's recognizing that we have to share our testimony and our faith with those around us. And maybe the hurdle for, for you, it has been with me in my life, it's, it's the confidence. It's finding the right time and the right place to share that, that testimony, that gospel, what God has done in our lives. Maybe that is the hurdle for you with sharing. Showing, I think, the biggest thing that we have to overcome is recognizing that we are called to share, to show our faith, to put it on display. I think we're, we're trained as kids to be discreet in our faith to not publicly display the things that God is calling us to do. We, we don't like people to know that. And so maybe that's the issue in the second one of showing. But teaching is, is problematic because it costs you a lot. If you're going to teach somebody in a one-on-one discipleship relationship, that'll cost you your time. It'll cost you your energy. It may cost you resources, but it's a commitment to another person. You're putting the needs of that person before your own, but it's a valuable and essential part of discipleship. And if we fail to teach, if we fail to commit in that way, growth can't happen. I know that as a parent, last Christmas, our neighbor brought us a Christmas gift, which began what we call Christmas Wars. Christmas Wars begin when someone preemptively gives you a gift that you were not expecting. We've all experienced this, right? All of a sudden, you're like, oh no, what do we do? So our neighbor brings us a Christmas gift. She's made some Christmas candy, and she has this big box for the kids. I'm not even thinking about the gift. I'm thinking about what is my next strike? How do I present a gift that is better than this? That is, I mean, the whole point of this. But the kids, they're into the candy immediately, and they start opening the box. And what it is, is one of those multi-purpose board game sets, or you've seen it probably before, where it's got checkers, it's got chess, there's backgammon. I mean, there's a couple of games within this one thing. And as a parent, you're probably visualizing pieces. Pieces everywhere. Like the second we opened it, I was like, there's no way that we're going to play chess or backgammon more than once. Like it's just, we're not. And so we, we open it and the kids start playing with it. Pieces are going everywhere. But the game that Judah got obsessed with was chess. So we're thinking... This kid's going to college, you know? We're like, okay, let's do this. We'll lean into it. Um, let's talk stocks too, Judah, while we're at it. But he, he just gets obsessed with it. Now, I think really he got obsessed with it because it was something that he knew was beyond his sister that, you know, mom and dad could play with him. And so we, we start playing chess with him. We start looking at the rules. We start kind of showing him the pieces, telling him how to play. And we start playing games in in the house. And he even keeps a tally of how many games he's played. Not one. Not one. I won the games. He didn't have any wins, so we just kept a a record of how many we played. But we're playing chess. And it's just like, it's a fun thing that we started doing. And then when Christmas got closer and we started doing our Christmas travels, he was like, what am I going to do? Because we were like, look, we've already lost half the pieces. We're not taking this monster piece with us. And so we get him a, a magnetic board from Amazon, right? Which the pieces are just on the board. It can open up. All the pieces go inside of it when it's folded. And he he takes it to Christmas. And he's playing 
you know, chess with his relatives, and we're like, yeah, he's a scholarship kid. We're, you know, we're riding this out. And he's playing chess with anyone that, that would play with him, but you probably know where this is going. January hits, school starts back, he loses interest, he doesn't play chess anymore. And we've committed, you know, to this chess scholarship that we think is headed our way. But he quits playing it in January. And then a few weeks ago, when we are at Disneyland, uh, we're waiting in line. He's complaining. He's whining that the line's too long. He doesn't want to be there. And I said, well, look, I've got some games on my phone that we can do kind of pass and play. And I find a chess app. And I said, look, let's, we haven't played this in a while. Let's play this. I hand him that, that phone with the chess game on it, and you would have thought it was like a space language. He looked at it like he had never seen those pieces before. He's like, I don't know where this one goes and this, and he's, he's lost complete interest. But the reason why is because we quit teaching him. We quit leaning into it. There's this idea in our faith that, that we think that once we're baptized, that's it, we're good. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship is committing to another person day in and day out. It's pouring into. It's guiding. It's opening up your Bible with somebody and saying, this is where God is leading you. This is how God is shaping you. But that's only done through consistency and commitment. When we don't do those two things, growth cannot happen. All of a sudden, you're looking at a chessboard in line at Disney, and you're like, what do I do with this? Because you've you haven't committed and you haven't been consistent in your approach. And so this morning, I, I want to walk through some examples in Scripture where we are instructed to teach. I mean, one, of the, one of the most famous ones is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. We've talked about this passage before. But in the Shema, you, you see this idea of what it looks like to teach in a discipleship relationship. Now, the Shema is specifically talking about parents and their children. But it can be applied to anyone that we are engaging on with in a discipleship relationship. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Think about this just for a second. Because last week, I think every single school that we were connected to at Chanel is back in session. Think about how hard it is to teach kids anything. Have you ever tried to teach somebody math that doesn't want to know math? Like, think about this. And there's a reason why I think in, in Deuteronomy 6 we're getting this idea of impressing this on our kids because the reality is learning doesn't happen, teaching doesn't happen unless it's consistent and you're committing to it. So look what happens next. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And they go further with tie them as symbols on your hands and buy them on your foreheads, write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. But this idea of talking about them when you sit at home. If you're discipling to somebody in a teaching relationship, we are trying to show them what God is trying to do in their lives. It can't just be a one-off conversation. It's got to be a relationship that is built on trust, that you're committing to that person, that you're sacrificing yourself to be with them and walk alongside them on their journey. When you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, it encompasses every part of your life. When Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus gives the Great Commission, uh, then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. <clears throat> When they saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, it's not done in this way of teach them once and then they're good, right? It's walk alongside them. It's be with them. Commit to their lives. Pour into them. Study with them. Grow with them. Be with them. The picture here that we're seeing in Deuteronomy and in Matthew chapter 28 is not one of uh, of passiveness. It's complete commitment to somebody saying, I want to teach you what God is doing in your life. And we understand this sacrificial element of it. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, then he said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. I love that, that element of daily. Because daily is when it becomes complicated for a lot of us, right? Like myself included. If you, if you work with a schedule, like you start thinking, all right, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. But Jesus is saying that the first part of my day, the first thing that I have to revolve everything around is being a disciple. It says, uh, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus understood sacrificing and committing to another person to teach them what it meant to be a disciple. Think about how Jesus existed around the disciples. Acts chapters 1, uh, verses 21 and 22 talk about what Jesus did with them. He existed with those individuals. They ate meals together. They walked together. They went on boat rides together. It makes it sound like they're having a fun time together. But the point of this is they're living life together. Luke 11, they literally asked Jesus how to pray. He was spending time with these individuals, pouring into them, committing to them. In the same way that Jesus does this with the disciples, we are called to do this with people in our lives. And again, it requires sacrifice. This will cost us time and energy and maybe resources. But if we are going to replicate the discipleship model that we walked into, we have to do this. We are called to do this. It's in the Great Commission. It's in the Shema. It's in Luke 9. It's, this is what we are called to do as disciples of Jesus. And so today we have to ask ourselves, what's next? Like, if we know that we are called to teach other people as disciples of Jesus, what do we do? Well, the first step I think that we have to recognize is that it's God that's doing the work. Like, we are just vessels. We can teach, we can guide, we can open up scriptures and say, this is where God is leading you, but we have to allow God to change those individuals' hearts. Paul dealt with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about the divisions of the church, but he's also talking about what is God doing in the hearts of these individuals. It's God at work. It's not humans. It's not us. God is at work. I thought about a story recently about someone that I used to know that would brag about how many baptisms they did. Um, I run in really fun circles, right? Um, These are fun people that I hang around with, but in this story that I'm thinking about, this person would brag about how many baptisms they had. And at one point, they, it was an, an older gentleman, but he, at one point he theorized that he might have baptized 5,000 people. Pretty cool, right? But what I didn't hear when we would talk about how many people that person would baptize was what God was doing in those moments. Like, in, in my opinion, you're just getting in the water. 
right? But it's God that's changing the hearts. It's God that is moving that person. You're just the vessel. And Paul dealt with this in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 9, Paul writes, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Think about this. This is Paul writing this. But he's, he's challenging this perception of who is at work here. It's God is at work. Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So we, in these teaching relationships, we have to understand that we are just the vessels. We are just the communicators. But God is the one at work. God is changing. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So we understand this. Like the foundation of a teaching relationship as a disciple of Christ is that God is the one at work. We are vessels. God is at work. So then we, we have to start with the instruction element, right? So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this, For other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you were living. Do you see that kind of replication model there? They were taught. They passed that along to those they were teaching. And then the idea is that they, the next people would do the next thing, that they would also teach others. Friends, that is how churches today grow. Churches today do not grow through one-off events that bring in hundreds of people. Churches today grow, and the growth that I'm looking for as a leader here is lasting growth. I want people to be connected and growing and learning, and we're teaching each other. But it happens through one-on-one relationships where we've committed to people. We care about those people. We walk alongside those people. I thought about this a few weeks ago, Jack Yates got baptized. Praise the Lord, we love it. But none of us would look at Jack Yates and be like, all right, you're baptized, you're good, right? And leave him alone. No, we're going to walk alongside him and help him grow, be there for him when he falls down, to pick him up and say, hey man, you got this, we're with you. We would never abandon. And what Paul is saying here in Thessalonians, this idea of like, when you were taught, we're going to stay with you. He's not abandoning them. He's committing to them and saying, I'm going to walk alongside you. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Jesus. In Titus chapter 2, you get this, another idea, too, of this teaching element. And everything set them an example by doing what is good. So how do you teach? It's based in Scripture, but it's through your actions. How are you reflecting the image of God in your life? In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. One of my favorite writers is Bob Goff. I love Bob Goff. I think he's a fantastic speaker. He's got energy. He's a great communicator. But in his first book, Love Does, he tells a story about when he wanted to quit high school. He wants to quit high school. He wants to just move out to Yosemite and rock climb, I think is how it goes. But he tells a story that he goes to his youth group leader and he goes to his house, knocks on the door, and he says, hey, you've been great, but I've decided I'm going to quit high school and I'm going to go to Yosemite and climb rocks. And the youth minister basically says, I'm not going to let you go alone. And so immediately he goes in the house, he gets a bag, and he goes with Bob Goff. 
And they go basically for a week when this young adult realized this was a bad idea, and they didn't want to do that anymore. And he goes back, and when they drop the youth minister off at his house, he realizes that they've got, there's like microwaves and gifts and all kinds of stuff in the house. And that individual had just gotten married. But he had decided to sacrifice his comfort, his life, to be there for another person. And he went along with Bob Goff for this journey. Now, I think about that a lot when you look at examples like Titus. And everything set them an example by doing what is good. And your teachings show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. The examples that we have to give when we are teaching people as disciples of Christ must be one of sacrifice, of honesty, sincerity. You've got to be humble in these two and recognize that you may be going along a journey with someone that may be difficult, that may be challenging, but we are called to commit and be there for that person. Because it's a growth element too. When in teaching in this way, we are walking along someone as they discover who they are and who God has created them to be. Paul writes about this too in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is head, that is Christ. For him the whole body joined and held together by, supporting, by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. To commit to one another and recognize that we are on a journey. And so as you disciple, as you find moments in your life where you can teach and walk along someone, you have to recognize that it is a growth process too. That you're guiding, you're encouraging, you're walking along someone in their life. And finally in Hebrews chapter 3, The writer of Hebrews does this masterful job of talking about what it means to be there for people. It's it's something that is woven throughout the the whole book. Hebrews 10 talks a lot about this, with these exhortations about being together, committing to one another. But in Hebrews 3, we see this reinforced as well. See to it, brothers and sisters, that no that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Do you see that idea of to encourage one another daily? Like That is what teaching as a disciple looks like. It's building up. It's encouraging. It's saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk alongside you as you discover who God is making you to be. But often we, we dismiss it. We look at passages like, Ephesians chapter 4, and we say, okay, I I don't fall into those categories. I don't feel like I'm an apostle. I don't feel like I'm a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, teacher. I, I don't feel like I have to do that. But that's not what teaching is. You don't have to be qualified to teach somebody as a disciple of Christ. All you have to do is be a human that cares about somebody and recognizes that God has created them. And you walk alongside them. You journey with them, you grow with them, and you commit to them. And if you do these things, if you provide consistency and commitment in another person's life, you are teaching them as a disciple of Christ. 
Now, my final encouragement in this is these should be small relationships. You should not try to disciple 18 people at the same time. That is going to overextend you and exhaust you. But I promise you that there are people in your lives right now that are looking for a better, bigger purpose in their lives. And they just need somebody to teach them and guide them. And so the whole point of this series has been to encourage you along this way. This idea of recognizing that you have a testimony. You have a story to share with those people in your lives. We need to be bold and show people what it looks like to be a Christian in today's world. To encourage, to give, to serve those around us. But finally, we have to find individuals in our lives to commit to and walk alongside with. And say, God has created you to do something amazing. I would love to walk alongside you. And if we're going to be everyday disciples, that is what we're called to do. We're called to share, show, and teach. Let's stand and sing.